1: I don't want to be overly dramatic here. But today, at the Supreme Court, the justices are taking up a case with huge stakes, even Jamel Bowie, the New York Times columnist and overall mild-mannered guy, said so
0: it really is uh, we're not we're not supposed to use this word uh, in our in, in our columns at the Times because sort of, like, it's a bit bit dramatic, but it's unprecedented.
1: <laughs> you know about this case. It's the one that argues that the 14th Amendment essentially blocks Donald Trump from appearing on the ballot.
2: When we begin tonight with breaking news from Colorado, where the state Supreme
1: Back in December, Colorado was the first state to make this argument. Then, Maine weighed in.
0: Donald Trump has been barred from the ballot in the state of Maine for his actions surrounding January 6th.
1: Colorado. As of today, there are more than a dozen states with active challenges like this one in court
0: and the legal fight
2: is just beginning and late word
0: that- the result of this is sort of to open up the floodgates and i think it's important to say that like the the legal case here it's not it's funny this is obviously a very novel thing to happen and this is this has never been you know this has not been done since the 1870s trying to disqualify candidates on, on, on like this but the actual legal argument is not really that complex <laughs>
1: As you may be able to tell from that answer, Jamel knows exactly how he thinks about this case. He reads the text of the Constitution, sees that it bans people who have incited insurrection from holding office. And then he looks at Donald Trump's behavior and he says, yeah, that fits.
0: So much of those contesting the argument basically have to rely on abusing the English language to make their case.
1: (laughs) Tell me how you really feel, Jamal.
0: Yeah, I I can say harsh things in a nice, pleasant tone. But, you know, I'll be honest, I'm actually quite conflicted about whether or not Trump should be disqualified. My interventions are more like, there are a lot of bad arguments against it. And so let's dispense with those bad arguments. And the history is such as quite clear, that that, and Trump's inaction is making it quite clear that he's an insurrectionist. But where we go from there, what what, what we do about that, that's where I'm sort of like, I don't, you know, I don't know.
1: Today on the show, no matter what happens at the Supreme Court today, Jamel Bowie says it's pretty obvious how the justices should rule. But will they? I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next?, Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Wondery. The global smartwatch industry is worth $45 billion annually. The Apple Watch is the undisputed bestseller. But Apple's dominance was not always a given. In the wake of Steve Jobs' death, Samsung was ready to capitalize on the company's uncertain path and beat Apple to the market with the first smartwatch. By 2013, Samsung had become an electronics powerhouse, a far cry from its humble origins as a family grocery store. It was ready to take on Silicon Valley's finest. In this face-off, both companies, have to sway consumers while surviving PR disasters as they open the Pandora's box of interactive biometrics. Wondery Show Business Wars goes deep into some of the biggest corporate rivalries of all time. In their latest season, they are clocking the fierce battle over wearable technology between Apple and Samsung. Follow Business Wars wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on Amazon Music or the Wondery app. This show is brought to you by Discover. You know, in today's world, it can seem that the best treatment is reserved for only a few. Well, Discover wants to change that by making everyone feel special. That's why with your Discover card, you have access to 24-7 live customer service as well as $0 fraud liability, which means you're never held responsible for unauthorized purchases. Finally, no matter who you are or where you are in life, you'll feel special with Discover. Learn more at discover.com slash credit card. Limitations apply. Part of what makes this 14th Amendment case so interesting to Jamel Bowie is that it wakes up a heretofore dormant clause of the Constitution. It is known as Section 3, and it was written in the wake of the Civil War. As lawmakers started rebuilding the country, they had to deal with the fact that a whole lot of experienced politicians had also just fought against the Union. They didn't want these guys rolling back into Washington to stir up the same old fights all over again. So Section 3 is a simple rule that says if you took an oath to the Constitution and then engaged in insurrection or rebellion, you cannot assume office again.
0: Because you have to remember a lot of the Confederate leadership served in the federal government prior. They were senators, they were House members, they were cabinet officials. These people were around. After the war, there's no, like, there's no, other than Jefferson Davis, the president of the Confederacy who is imprisoned, no one's, like, rounding up all of these people. They kind of just go home. Hmm. And so one thing that does happen is, like, in the 1866 elections, some of them get elected to Congress.
1: And so the question is, like, what do you do about that?
0: Yeah, what do you do about that?
1: You got to tell him, sorry, <laughs> I can't show up here.
0: And the Republicans in Congress were like, no, you can't, you can't, you can't serve. <laughs> you can't be here. Uh, they really wanted to reward loyalty. That was sort of the one of the phrases that comes up again and again, reward loyalty, punish treason.
1: One thing the court is being asked to consider in this Supreme Court case is, was January 6th technically an insurrection? And I'm wondering if you'll engage with that question. I know you're pretty clear on it, but people do disagree with you. Like right there in your New York Times opinion section, um, Ross Douthat wrote that, you know, hundreds of thousands of people were killed in the Civil War and a five-hour riot probably doesn't clear the bar. How would you respond to that kind of argument?
0: I think that argument is mistaken. I think that that argument rests on taking the Um, civil war as being a paradigmatic insurrection rather than an example of an insurrection, one of other kinds of insurrections. And the authors of the 14th Amendment, uh, Section 3, did not imagine themselves as writing something that was exclusively about the civil war. They they Hmm. very much were thinking about future attempts at trying to undermine or overthrow the government. And looking back at January 6th, I think restricting this to just the riot itself is also mistaken. As the January 6th Select Committee made clear, the riot was sort of like the most dramatic part of it, sort of the climax of the effort. But the effort began very shortly after the end of the election, and it was an effort to find some way to throw out or overturn the results and keep Trump in office. If January six had succeeded, if 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 the rioters had successfully managed not just to prevent the counting of electoral votes, but also deem Trump the winner somehow, then that would be a new political order, right? I personally am not sure how else you describe an effort to a serious effort. Not not this was not a game, right? This was not for play. Um, a serious effort that ended up resulting in people losing their lives to overturn a previous presidential election. What else do you call that?
1: Well, and also just because it's a failed insurrection doesn't mean it didn't have the intent of an insurrection.
0: Right. (laughs) There is a joke from uh, an older episode of The Simpsons where the character Sideshow Bob, voiced by Kelsey Grammer, um, (laughs) uh, scoffs at being charged with attempted murder convicted of a crime I didn't even commit. Attempted murder. Now, honestly, what is that? Do they give a Nobel Prize for attempted chemistry, do they? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) If you attempt to overthrow the government, just because you failed doesn't mean you didn't attempt. You still still tried to do it.
1: But I do see people making this argument that essentially Trump has not been convicted and there's a ton of political disagreement about what January 6th was and what it was trying to do. So can we truly say that he is an insurrectionist, this was an insurrection, this was an attempted overturning of how government usually works in the U.S.?
0: We look back at the Civil War era and say, well, obviously there was a political consensus that an insurrection had taken place, but plenty of white Southerners did not think that the former Confederate insurrectionist, right? Like there was no, if you're thinking of like a, a broad national consensus, that that didn't exist. It was heavily contested what the meaning of the Civil War was, what the meaning of secession was. So I think to make consensus of any kind the foundation for whether something counts as an insurrection is essentially to say that nothing can ever count as an insurrection because it will always be, those actions, those acts will always be politically contested, the meaning of those acts.
1: Another argument being made by Trump's attorneys is that president, quote unquote, the president, is not one of the jobs listed by name in the long list of insurrectionists who should be barred from future office. You obviously disagree with that. Can you just lay out why, though? Because a number of people have raised this, not just Trump's attorneys.
0: Yes. So I I think, to be perfectly honest, I think this is very stupid. Um, (laughs) Um, for the simple reason that the, the president is an officer of the United States. One of the amicus briefs um, that uh, has been filed about this case, a group of historians make very clear that the framers of the 14th Amendment, as well as other lawmakers, clearly believe that the president was an officer of the United States. Um, During the impeachment trial of Andrew Johnson in 1868, which is contemporaneous with uh, the writing of the 14th Amendment, um, Senator John Sherman of Ohio says, the president and the Senate can appoint judges, but the Senate can only remove them. These are the constitutional officers, and their tenure and mode of removal are fixed by the Constitution.
1: Okay, but counterpoint, a Harvard Law professor wrote in Slate that an earlier draft of Section 3 included the role of president explicitly and that seems to have been like i don't know crossed out in the actual version
0: what this argument is presupposing is that if if Jefferson Davis the president of the confederacy had run for the democratic party nomination in 1868 and won it and then was running for president you're 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 basically asking us to believe that the reconstruction congress the Congress that wrote and passed the 14th Amendment would look at the former president of the Confederacy running for president of the United States and say, "Well, that's okay." And we obviously don't think that's the case. That's an absurd thing. It's a, it's an absurd scenario. We obviously know that it, and if that were to happen, that Congress would have done everything in its power to get Jefferson Davis off of the ballot. And so I I think I think just this is why I said it was stupid. I think just like using common sense tells us if the lawmakers who wrote this amendment were interested in keeping former Confederates, insurrectionists out of office, why would they exclude one of the most powerful offices in the United States? Like, why would they do that?
1: When we come back, imagining how the justices could rule here. Real world results. That's SAP Business AI.
2: This episode is brought to you by ZBiotics. There is now a game changing product to use before a night out with drinks. It's called ZBiotics. Let's face it, after a night with drinks, it's tough to bounce back the next day. You have to make a choice. You can either have a great night or a great next day. ZBiotics is a surefire way to wake up feeling fresh after a night of drinking. ZBiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. ZBiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. Just remember to make Zbiotics your first drink of the night. Drink responsibly and you'll feel your best tomorrow. Go to zbiotics.com/whatnext to get 15% off your first order when you use whatnext at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with a 100% money back guarantee, so if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com/whatnext and use the code whatnext at checkout for 15% off. Thank you, Zbiotics, for sponsoring this episode and our good times.
1: In the weeks since this ballot case got taken up by the Supreme Court, I've seen all sorts of op-eds that are basically offering the justices ways to rule in this case. And I think it's worth talking about a couple of them. Like, I've seen an argument, and you've kind of made it here a little bit, like if you guys are truly originalists, you simply have to bounce Trump from the ballot. Another argument I've seen is, like, listen, the justices could punt here. They could basically say that just like abortion, this is a state decision. We should not be making the call here. Do you think any of these options are going to resonate?
0: I do not think this court is going to disqualify Trump. I'm not sure that any court would disqualify Trump. It's such a drastic move that I, I just do not think any court, would go that far? Any, any. When I say any court, I mean any iteration of the Supreme Court.
1: Like even the most liberal iteration. Even
0: the most liberal one, I would be. I would hesitate to say that they would do it. I'm not sure that they would. Most of the people in that court value the institution's legitimacy above everything else. Um, and this, this, this is the kind of thing that even if it is the correct legal argument, it really does threaten the legitimacy of the court. Um, in the eyes of many Americans. So I'm not sure any court would go that far. I I think that the most likely outcome is they'll punt. They'll either say the strong version of punting is the states can decide.
1: Because that means that Trump will be off the ballot in certain places.
0: Absolutely. The weak version of punting is Congress decides.
1: Because Congress won't decide. Exactly. Hmm. I wonder if you think there is a way for the justices to keep Trump on the ballot which is something you don't want necessarily, but do it well, like a a way that's protective of the law. I mean, Slate published this article by a law student recently that basically accepts as a given the justices are going to keep Trump on the ballot, but that they really can't do it by saying Trump didn't engage in insurrection. They can't say the 14th Amendment doesn't apply to the president. There's just too much evidence that, that it does. But the good way to keep Trump on the ballot is to essentially say the state's decision to disqualify the presumptive nominee of a major political party deprives a significant portion of citizens of their ability to cast a vote. So it's a political argument. It's like people want this guy, so we can't really get in the way. Are you thinking that that's where this court is headed? Like, what do you make of that?
0: I could see the court making that kind of argument. I find that argument not very persuasive because it's sort of like an argument against just any qualifications for the ballot, right? Like you, you know, if I you, we can't elect a thirty-year-old to the presidency, many Americans might want to, but we can't, right? And that's just sort of like the Constitution says the president has to be thirty-five, and so that means no thirty-year-olds. So I I find that argument kind of an general argument against qualifications. And the other thing about it, right, is that like. Section three doesn't mean that someone who holds Trump's exact views can't run, right? Like someone could hold could believe everything Trump believes, like down to the letter. Um, but if they if they didn't do the insurrection, then they're still perfectly eligible to be to be uh to be president.
1: Right. It's the insurrection, not the candidate that you're disqual- that's disqualifying here. Okay. I wonder if we can get really wild here and consider What would happen if the justices did allow Colorado to kick Trump off the ballot? Like, What do you think would happen instead?
0: Well, if states began disqualifying Trump, I imagine that there would be other states beginning to disqualify Biden as well.
1: Texas has already said they're like raring to do that, right?
0: Right, right. I would imagine as well that there would then be in response to those things, organized write-in campaigns, right, to ensure that people are casting ballots for either Trump or Biden in states with either candidate not on. I don't, my powers of prediction don't go that far. I'm not really sure (laughs) how this is going to really, how this would shake out if states began disqualifying.
1: It feels like a mess to me. I just wonder though, if the mess could be useful in some way like is it useful to have the mess on full display in some way or is it just a mess
0: i think it might be useful to have the mess on full display if only because it would kind of like force the issue of what is trump's relationship to our democratic process which is i think kind of the subtext of all of this sort of what what is trump exactly and what do, how do Trump's supporters imagine themselves in relation to American democracy? It would make it would make the conflict explicit, uh, and then we just have to sort it out. I, it again, it's tough to say, it's tough to say how it plays out at all.
1: Hmm. There's one last thing I want to make sure we talk about, which is the fact that this Fourteenth Amendment case isn't the last one that the Supreme Court is going to be asked to weigh in on when it comes to Trump and the election. Earlier this week, Trump lost his argument that he has executive immunity for any crimes he committed while president, like a D.C. Court of Appeals ruled that's bogus. The next stop for this case is the Supreme Court. How do you think these cases will affect each other? Like, do you? <laughs> it just seems like there's a lot arriving at the Supreme Court's desk. There's a lot they're being asked to decide. That's really important in an election year.
0: I mean, in terms of the court, I actually think that th- these two cases give the court an opportunity basically to triangulate because the case that was in the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, uh, that to me is is even more straightforward. Sort of the claim is that the president has kind of permanent criminal immunity to prosecution, and that basically undoes the Constitution, right? Like, if the president cannot be prosecuted criminally for anything that they do as president, then...
1: Then they're just king?
0: Then they're just kings. And this was a scenario put forth during oral arguments at the D.C. Circuit. Then the president could assassinate his political rivals and not be prosecuted for it, right? And, and the Trump lawyer said, well, yeah, theoretically. Hmm. The implications of the argument is that, yeah, the president is not just a king, but is completely unbound by rule of law. It's very easy for the court to say, that's ridiculous.
1: Jamal, I'm always grateful for you coming on the show. Thanks for being here.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Jamal Bowie is a New York Times opinion columnist. And that's our show. If you're a fan of What Next, the best way to support our work is to join Slate Plus Plus. It's our membership program. Go on over to slate.com slash plus to find out how. What Next is produced by Paige Osborne, Elena Schwartz, Rob Gunther, Anna Phillips, and Madeline Ducharme. We are led by Alicia Montgomery with a little boost from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary Harris. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you back here next time.